0: Relatively Geeky presents... Doomspeak. The Savage Land, 2099 style. Welcome back to Doomspeak, the ongoing chronicle of the fantabulous exploits of the world's leading world leader, the rightful ruler of Latveria himself, Dr. Doom. And in this episode... We are revisiting a series we have covered a number of times over the years the soon to come futuristic exploits of the Latverian leader, as chronicled in Doom 2099, issues 19, 20, and 21. But first, a little feedback. Two episodes ago, we talked about Doom's utter dominance of Camelot in Iron Man 149 and 150. And then last time, we did a rerun of my first appearance on the Fantasticast, from way back in, let's just say a long, long time ago. On the Iron Man episode, Sir Martin of Grey of the excellent comics review blog Too Dangerous for a Girl had this to say. Wonderful as the solo professor is, I always look forward to guests to add a little extra je ne sais quoi. Look, Martin, we don't mind foreign languages around here, but let's stick to Latvian from now on, all right? And Sir Luke Giaconetti is a very loyal, remarkably gifted servant of doom. I bought these issues as they came out, and they are absolute classics. I didn't know about the sequels, having packed the series in during Denny O'Neill's tenure year scripter, could you ask Sir Luke if he'd be willing to come back for more? Negotiations are underway, Mark. Rest assured. And Luke is so right. Victor's time platform is indeed beautiful. The irony being that Jack Kirby is famed for his complicated machines. Yet this is his most... Minimalist tech design, and it is unforgettable. So we infer that Tony did the deed. So we infer that Tony did the deed with the damsel Eleonora. What if Tony started a lineage with her? He could actually be his own grandpa. (laughs) Like I said, Martin, you need to read those sequels. I liked the art a lot, but over the years it became increasingly clear That what I really liked was the finish that Bob Layton gave to John Ramita Jr.'s layouts. I thought I was seeing the work of J.R.J.R., but in retrospect, the really good stuff is Layton. Okay, he's overwhelming J.R.J.R., but the results are terrific. Seeing J.R.J.R. without Layton was a real shock to the system. Thank you, Martin, as always for your feedback. Good points on the simplicity. Of Kirby's work on the Time platform, sometimes the fewer lines, the better. Michael T. Geist also wrote in, complete with a photo of a fun sized Doctor Doom. I took trash out to the dumpster this morning and saved this Doom from a box of toys being thrown out. Then I listened to your latest podcast on the way to work, and perfect! It's a speak episode. Now, Michael, I can't speak fully for the entirety of the committee, though I obviously have some influence. But I think this does, in fact, fast-track you to membership in the Friends of Old Doom. Congratulations, friend. And hail Doom. On the rerun episode featuring FF Annual 2, we got this missive. From one of our neighbors to the north, Ranger Gord from the podcast Prairie Justice, and member in good standing of Friends of Old Doom, I believe I still have this episode on my computer, under the Great Speeches playlist. Sure, I had to bump some Winston Churchill stuff to fit in, but hey, that bloke can find his own playlist. Doom shall fight in the panels, he shall fight in the gutters, he shall fight in the captions. Bah, he will never surrender. Keen insights as always, Gord. Max, from the Weird War podcast, poured one out for the late-lamented Fantasticast, and Billy D said that the morning commute was made that much easier by listening to that old Fantasticast show. During the intro to that episode, I mentioned that I'd spoken with half of the Fantasticast team about repurposing that audio and got to go ahead to do so. That's the half of the team that I'm in contact with to this day. The other half was unaware of that and did say he would not have given permission had he known. So that episode is not on our feed anymore, but I hope you enjoyed it while you had the chance. Also wanted to take the chance to mention my good buddy J. David Weeder. He says I can call him Dave. From the podcast Dave's Marvel Universe. As he recently covered these two Iron Man issues himself on episodes 5 and 6 of that show. And truth be told, Luke and I liked the issues way more than Dave did. That being said, I want to make it clear that Dave and I are still friends. Last I heard, I think. James Williams gave me a shout-out for giving him a recent shout-out. He's had a tough few months and said some recent episodes came at just the right times for him. Good to know. Take care, friend. Social media support for the last two episodes came from Tim Price. From the Outcasters, Clinton from Coffee and Comics, Laurel, the chief executive at Longbox Crusade International Headquarters, Karen from Between the Pages, Robert Ludwig, the most sane man among us, Manuel from Truthful Comics, Chris Lydon 7, Old School Ross, Sir Iowa's Joe from the 21st Century Boys, the Days of High Adventure podcast, Vic and Phoenix, Randy Watts, Chris Willett, Chris from Professor Frenzy, Gene Hendricks, Dr. Ange, David Ace Gutierrez, Dave's Comic Heroes blog, Spy Vinyl, Kirk Spencer, Big Five Army, J. Jones Goldstein, the Notorious J.J.G., and our listeners of the year, the kind and lovely Sutherlands from the Rad Adventures Network. Thank you all for that social media support. It does warm our hearts. So let's take a break for a promo from a very literate and educational podcast. And when we come back, we'll be heading to the late 21st century's version of the Savage Land. He said I was a liar. I'm not. People think you are good, but you are bad and hard-hearted. I'll let everyone know what you have done. I am a free human being with an independent will, which I now exert to leave you. To marry you would kill me. I'm a bad ass woman. What's wrong with that? Can't hold me back. Yeah, I'm a bad ass woman. Just made like that. But I'm proud of that. Bad ass woman. Dear reader, a Jane Eyre podcast. Join me, Stella as I look at the legacy of Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte through the lens of its varied and various interpretations. TV, film, radio, theater, er sci-fi, erotica? Pun intended. Does Jane Eyre transcend culture, time, place, and galaxy? Listen and find out. Coming soon to the Fire & Water Podcast Network. You can't ignore, you can't ignore no more I'm a And we're back. Doom 2099 issues 19, 20, and 21 had cover dates of July, August, and September 1994. Each had a cover price of $1.50. All of the stories were scripted by our core team of writer John Francis Moore and artists Pat Broderick and John Nyberg. All of the covers are by Broderick. Since this is a continuous story, I'm going to run the synopses together for all three issues. So what I'm saying is, settle in for a while for these oxymoronic, pretty long summaries. And thanks go to the site uncannyxmen.net for having issue summaries on their site that formed the basis, the structure... For the synopses that I present to you now. The cover of number 19 shows the various parts of Doom's armor, some of them in the huge maw of a dinosaur, some falling out of that monster's mouth. To the Savage Land. It does grab one's attention, and it certainly sets a tone. The story of Issue 19, Uncreated Night, begins on an unnamed island in the South Pacific. A dark citadel rises from the core of a long, extinct volcano. The Black Fortress's inhabitants welcome no visitors and enforce their privacy with an iron-handed resolve. Stealth technology cloaks the structure from the prying orbital eyes of the SATCAM net, and a gauntlet of defense systems ensure that no plane can approach. For inside the dark citadel live two powerful shadows who move through the world unnoticed and manipulate international politics and economics with invisible hands. And that's just the first page. Inside, a woman, nameless for now, watches the entire world her playground. She is responsible for many of the past decade's crises and catastrophes, and she revels in her power. Find my doom, she instructs her computer, which shows an image of our doom, Doom 2099. She watches him escape death on the space platform from the prior few issues. He is very resourceful, this one. So like the original. As I expected. The computer reports that an earthquake has occurred. It tries to track Doom, but he's now underground, making that difficult. A metal hand touches the woman's shoulder, saying that she spends too much time watching that one. We cut to the savage land, where three hunters laugh as they watch a stegosaurus run for its life. Their bosses promised to pay big money for any dinosaur they can bring back. The stegosaurus collapses, but before they can earn their cash, the hunters are doused in tree sap. It was a long-haired kid with a jet pack. One of the locals who use the sap to gum up the machinery of outsiders. The hunters give chase, but the kid is faster, and they ride off a cliff. But something else catches the kid's attention. He finds an ice cave? Maybe the recent earthquakes opened up a new tunnel from outside the valley. We learn that tunnels like this led the plunders to the Savage Land opening it to every country and corporation looking for a new frontier to exploit. In the cave, the kid sees Doom's escape pod in front of him. He hesitates, and then opens it. Someone survived the Earthfall. Where are they now? We then finally pick up the story of the star of the show, Doom, mildly on fire. Notices the swampy environment that surrounds him and is angry. He should have landed in Latveria. Wait. Armor malfunctioning, total neuro interface breakdown. Doom collapses and lies on the ground for several hours, disturbed only by the local mini dinosaur ish creatures. Hallucinating. While his armor attempts to repair itself, Doom is taunted by images of Kaz and remembers him saying that revelation is at hand. He also sees... Yuck. Reed Richards mocks him that he isn't even the real Victor Von Doom. That can't be true because Doom knows that he killed Richards. But Nightmare Richards says that's wrong. Dr. Doom killed me, the genuine article. The real McCoy. Is he really doom? Or is he a mockery? Is he just a callow youth claiming the wisdom of age? Have his time travels in space created a paradox? Richards doesn't believe any of that. You will burn in the fires of self-deceit. Burn! Burn! We move to Latveria where Fortunes and Poets and Kaz's escape pod does in fact land safely where it was intended to. And they are glad for that. Fortune is worried that Kaz's brain has been damaged by the mind link with the Alestia, that it may have damaged her brother's brain permanently. He has been mumbling since they enter the atmosphere, something that sounded like, revelation is at hand. The last third of the issue moves us back to Doom, back to the Savage Land. Two men are riding a three-wheeler. These are Carson Leibowitz and Bloodhawk in his human form. They talk about how the Savage Land used to be protected, but no longer. Alchemax has begun a drilling operation, also messing with the fragile tribal alliances. Forget about sabotage, Hawk. I'm talking war. This picks up on a plot point from X-Men 2099 number 10, which is why UncannyXMen.net is covering this series. In that, Bloodhawk was contracted by his old friend Leibowitz to help him defend, to help him defeat, the evil corporations in the Savage Land. Doom's armor is still burning and not exactly fixing itself. Frustrated by that and by the hallucinations, Doom shouts, I am Doom! Unfortunately, this excess noise attracts the attention of, you know, a Tyrannosaurus Rex who feels like his territory has been invaded. Clearly, the dino does not understand the intricate socio political culture of the world which puts Doom firmly at top of the food chain. Not understanding his proper role, the T-Rex is totally out of line here, picks up Doom and slams him against a tree. Doom can't see, and his body armor system overloads with an explosion that hits the dinosaur and kills it. I'm not saying. That Doom caused the dinosaur's extinction billions of years ago? I'm just saying that he could have. Doom stands and peels off his armor running to a nearby river. He puts his face in the water, but a voice commands him to stand. Doom does so, and on the last page we see a being approach. Red body, wings, clawed toes and fingers. You may have been able to kill one of the last dinosaurs on Earth, but you won't fare that well against Bloodhawk. To be continued. The cover of Issue 20 shows a man's face messily wrapped in bandages against a green jungle background. What will be the new face of Doom 2099? The story of issue 20, Strangers in the Jungle, begins with a swamp man named Vulak stumbling across the carcass of the Tyrannosaurus that Doom killed. Vulak decides that Doom's armor will bring the greater reward. Not far away, the story picks up from last issue with an angry Bloodhawk attacking Doom. Hawk brings Doom to Liebowitz. And his other helpers, Czar and Chalta, and totally narks out Doom for killing the T Rex. Bloodhawk's crew, you see, fights against the dinosaur hunters from Alchemax. Doom introduces himself, but nobody believes he is who he claims to be. They get bandages from the med kit to tend Doom's wounds, but he grabs them and puts them over his head so that only his eyes and mouth. Are visible, because Doom has always got to doom. Come on, you know this? If you have a look, you have to maintain your look. Live into the brand. Liebowitz tells the now hastily masked Doom that he picked a lousy time to be stranded in the savage land. Because ever since the UN disbanded and the unified tribes finally gained autonomy, they're still Foreign interest in strip mining the land, including Alcamax and their executive L'Argent. Doom confirms that he is no friend of Alcamax. If they could, they would see me dead. And then suddenly, mid sentence, Doom stops talking. Everyone asks if he's all right, but Doom doesn't reply. Suddenly, all of his certainty slips away and incomprehensibly finds pieces of another's life with crystal clarity. In this vision, he has one eye, and a woman is experimenting on him. She tells her dark, clouded boss that he is so much like him. I am there watching, aloof and unreadable, an enigma, even to myself. Doom snaps back with one thought in his mind. He wants his armor back now. In the Temple of the Black Sun, a shaman draws a weird insignia on Largent's head, which resembles a, that's right, a black sun. The black sun burns through your flesh and into your soul. Once marked, you will experience its heat until you lie on your deathbed. The ritual is disrupted by Vulak, the the swamp man, who apologizes, but shows Doom's mask. Largent can't believe it. I travel to the farthest ends of the earth to circumvent his infernal machinations. And still he finds me? Bloodhawk's team discover that the armor is gone. They tell Doom that he better learn to live without it. It's going to be hard to find. The Savage Land is an enormous place. Up in the sky, Bloodhawk and Tsar scout the area for Doom's armor. Tsar's solar tubes can keep him aloft, but he is jealous of Bloodhawk's mutant abilities. We learn that Bloodhawk owes Lebowitz some sort of debt and has chosen to repay him by helping out in the Savage Land. They conclude... Correctly that a Swamper must have taken the armor. Bloodhawk mocks Doom for his reliance on the armor. Unless the metal shell is all that defines you? Doom says that he will go on alone, because no matter what, he will retrieve the armor. But everyone continues on with a joint effort. Doom learns of Largent's commitment to the Swamp and his ability to talk his way into the inner circle of shaman leaders. There are reports that Largent has become unstable, reliant on black lotus extract. The group's boat is attacked by several angry swamp people. One of them beats Doom and dunks his bandaged head into the river, with a piranha approaching fast. Leibowitz kicks the tribesmen, who loses his grip on Doom, and the piranha kills him instead. Bright lights suddenly appear, blinding everyone. Bloodhawk refuses to surrender, but is shot by one of the hunters and drops into the river. He is fished out of the water. Largent wants to have a word with them all. Doom believes that the drilling might be responsible for the seismic activity. That's been occurring recently. And then Doom stops in his tracks as he can't believe what he sees in front of him. His armor spiked to a tree. Largent welcomes the strangers to the apocalypse. As the earth trembles below our feet, our civilized veneer will be stripped away and our dark, savage hearts will stand revealed. He rambles on for a while monologuing about children of the dark light and that technology is a false path that will be washed away in blood. Your blood, he does emphasize. The last page takes place somewhere in the Pacific. A caped man asks the mysterious woman from last issue if she has already found her knight in borrowed armor. The man tells her that, of all his opponents, she has been the most dangerous. Your games often prove deadly. To be continued in issue 21, the cover of which shows the mysterious woman from the prior two issues gazing at a globe or sort of crystal ball sort of thing, containing the bandaged Doctor Doom, The bunch of electrodes attached. The Shadow King. The story of issue 21, Savage Decline, begins with Largent, who has really gone around the bend. The jungle heat, bites from prehistoric insects, and that sweet black lotus. Whatever the combo. It's driven him quite mad. Mad enough to want to offer Doom's blood to his newfound gods of the Black Sun. Bloodhawk tries to talk Largent down off the ledge of madness, but he dismisses the mutant. Bloodhawk gets himself free and tries an escape, but is handled easily by the muscle-bound Largent. You forgot the law of the jungle. Kill or be killed. Doom is more interested in what Largent gains from all this. Surely your Alchemex employers didn't send you here to experiment in local pharmacology. He replies by rambling about deeper meanings, but Doom interrupts him with a key question. And what do you intend to do with my armor? His answer is cut off by another earthquake heavier than the prior one. Shouting over the others, Largent says that the drilling isn't the cause of the earthquakes. The gods are angry. They demand sacrifice. At this point, Doom notices that Largent's second-in-command, Kincaid, is clearly unnerved by all of this talk of sacrifice. Inside the Temple of the Black Sun, it is pointed out that if another quake occurs, with everyone inside the temple, they all going to die. But Largent is not in a listening mood. And upon putting the ceremonial headdress on, he begins to chant in an unknown language. And as he does so, Doom finishes his speech in the same language. None but the initiates know these words. Who are you? I am Victor Von Doom. He tries to add more, but Largent calls him a liar. Von Doom never leaves his island fortress. Who sent you here? Doom tries to say that he has no master, but the shaman blows the lotus drug extract into Doom's face. He begins to feel like he's caught in a centrifuge spinning around him. Doom tries to resist the lotus effects, but tumbles through a haze, a maze of confusion. I am Victor Von Doom, scientist, scholar, gypsy, monarch. But lately I've begun to experience memories of another life. Another earthquake rumbles, interrupting the ritual and angering Largent. Bloodhawk and his friends and a few Alchemex hunters make it safely out of the temple. But Doom, Largent, and Kincaid are all trapped inside. We get one quick page of Latveria, with Kaz repeating some of the words that Doom is saying at the same time. And again, he mumbles that soon all will be revealed. You're just past the halfway point of the issue, and the rest of it takes place back in the Savage Land. Outside, Bloodhawk batters the hunters, telling them that they've brought enough damage to the Savage Land. He grabs a stolen gun and sets it to overload, and throws it down into the machines. The resulting explosion detonates the drill's mainframe battery, destroying it completely. Inside, adrenaline has cleared Doom's head, and now he remembers? He, no, not him, but his former self, was a mercenary of some type during the corporate conflags? But it all just slips away. Largent says that the gods still need blood. Doom's blood. Blood. Largent says that above and beyond the megacorps are the men and women who truly control the world, and that Doom is clearly as much their pawn as he once was. Largent does find Doom's performance convincing. You actually believe you are Doom, he says, tossing him aside. Doom asks if these shadows have names. Or if this is part of Largent's growing madness, this paranoia, this conspiracy theory. You should know, Largent screams at him. One of them is the man you pretend to be, Victor Von Doom. Before he can explain, Largent is shot right through the chest. He and Doom look up and find Kincaid. Actually, this guy replaced Kincaid and he had a mission to terminate Largent should he prove to be a risk. One more shot kills Largent. after which Doom throws a dropped knife into the killer's chest, discovering him, this Kincaid, to be an android. An android of a design that Doom recognizes. But before he can look too closely, Doom notices that the android is about to... BARROOM! The outside team has destroyed the final Alchemex machines. They see Doom emerge from the exploding temple, and he explains Largent's death. But he knows that the man has left him with a mystery to solve. If there is another who claims to be Victor Von Doom, then I will find him. Final page. We're back in the South Pacific with the mysterious man and woman. Ostensibly, they are two of these shadow beings, this uh, controlling Illuminati, I suppose, or at least works for them, perhaps. She says that the official report will blame the Swamp Tribe for Largent's death. But he held such a tiny fraction of the truth in that lotus-addled mind. The man, wearing a mask of a suspiciously familiar shape, tells her, But now the time has come for me to remove your doom once again from the board. The end. First, thank you so much for indulging me on this giant-sized synopsis. I think Dr. Bill Robinson over on Back to the Bins would be proud of how long that took me. But I like the details of the story well enough, and there were enough important bits that I think the detailed version of the synopsis was was well-earned by the quality of these issues. Just a couple of points before we actually do a little analyzing. First... I've mentioned in past episodes that John Francis Moore would often add literary quotes at the end of some of the early issues of this title, and he continues that here uh, with these three issues, ending with quotes from, respectively, Milton's Paradise Lost, Miller's Death of a Salesman, and the Biblical Book of Psalms. Also, thank you. I hope it won't come too loudly. Through the episode, but partway through that synopsis, the next-door neighbor began to cut their grass with a very loud mower, and the city maintenance crew showed up in front of the house to begin the repair process on a couple of squares of sidewalk, the first step of which is to completely destroy the squares of sidewalk that are currently out there. Again, hopefully not too much of that uh, ambient noise gets through to the recording. So, uh, to these issues, first let's talk about the Savage Land. And I know that any alternative locale for a comic story can be controversial, can be unpopular among some fans. But I have to admit I am a fan of the Savage Land. Maybe it's tangential to my deep fandom for the Warlord and Skartaris, And this is sort of Marvel's version thereof. I've not read a ton of Khazar. I don't know, maybe a dozen issues or so, but I have enjoyed them. I like him, and I like this world. I don't know if there's a specific Khazar as a part of the 2099 landscape. I don't think his name was mentioned as in these issues. There was a reference to the Plunders, his family name. So maybe that's as, as close as we got to having a KZAR 2099. But I did like having a Savage Land 2099. So I was looking forward to this visit to the Savage Land, and it delivered what it was supposed to. First, that means dinosaurs. And I have to admit, even though Doom had a bit manhandled over these issues and is weakened and occasionally hallucinatory state, he did kill a dinosaur, so that made the rest of it acceptable. Doom versus Dino, that was a wild scene. You also need some sort of interaction with the unique aspects of the Savage Lands landscape. And in this case, that is Largent going crazy from the Wacky Weeds. So, for a Savage Land story without a Khazar or even without Shanna the She-Devil. The location really worked for me for these issues. But even as a fan of this setting, I do confess that I was concerned about the prospect of spending three issues here, not specifically here, but three issues somewhere that was not Latveria. Because we just spent two issues on the space station before that. I don't need my doom stories to occur 100% in Latveria. He's not a DC character mystically tied to his particular city limits, but Latveria is an important part of Doom, and you don't want to separate him from there for too long. Like the other national leaders in the Marvel U, Namor, Black Panther, their setting, their locale, is a critical part of their character, as well as their story. Doom fits into that category, of course, And I think he needs to stay, if not in Latveria, he needs to stay tethered to Latveria. So three issues in the Savage Land seem like it might be a bit much. And perhaps it was. But it all worked out, I think. does seem that we're heading back to Latveria next issue, and I think that's good. Uh, That'll be welcome. There is a change to the creative team coming a few issues down the road. And I do wonder how far in advance something like that in general is known, or at least in this case was known, because these sort of travelogue stories that we've had, these stories away from the home base, I wonder if they were intended to be wheel-spinning to set the stage for the transition. Or maybe it's more likely that perhaps the sense of wheel-spinning is what Set the stage for the upcoming shakeup. No information on that whatsoever, just some random thoughts. But that being said, I enjoyed this journey to the Savage Land. I think it did more for the overall Doom story than the space platform adventure did. And also the fall of the Hammer crossover from before that. We got a lot of info about the state of the 2099 world, the big corporations who run it all. And then we get the hint, the news, the fact, that there are shadow movers behind those corporations. I'm not a big fan of the real-world conspiracy theory of the Illuminati, seven or eight or nine, whatever the number is, super-rich oligarch families who pull all the world's strings. But for fiction, I'll allow it. It certainly simplifies what in the real world is a rather complex web of socio, politico, educational, economic interconnections and, and transactions. And of course, the mystery of who those folk are, especially the cloaked and masked fellow who looks just a little bit doomish. I'm intrigued by that. I liked the couple of pages we spent in the South Pacific for each of those issues. I'm looking for a confrontation soon between our doom, and maybe this other doom. And fortunately, our lead character is looking for a confrontation, too. So if that doesn't happen next issue, or maybe by the one after that, I'll be sorely disappointed. And of course, the fundamental question of this entire series up to this point, and spoilers, into the future of the title, is, who exactly is this guy anyway? After the first handful of issues, we all kind of accepted that this somehow is the actual factual Doom. And then that's been called into question again in this story arc. Doom himself, or the character we've been following, seems to be becoming increasingly unsure as to exactly who he is. And for a character based on his, let's be positive, and say... His high sense of self-esteem and positivity about his own inner potential. Yes, sure, some could call that arrogance, I suppose. But anyway, for a character based so much on his quote-unquote arrogance, giving him some self-doubt, some identity questioning, that's a big deal. That's a major change, which is one of the advantages of these alternate universe scenarios. The ultimate universe, Earth-2 or 2099. You can put your characters through the ringer, or at least through different ringers, than you can in their main universe. And to me, this alternate take not just on the character of Doom, but this alternate take on The concept and the world in the character of Doom is one of the reasons I love this series so much. And that wraps up our journey to the Savage Land circa 2099, which was a little long, perhaps. Possibly two and a half issues of Solid Story spread out over three. Has been a long time away from Latveria, and I, for one, am ready to get back. But these issues told a good story, and most importantly, they pushed the overall big picture of the plot forward, and made some exciting promises. Only time will tell if they deliver on those promises. Like we've said recently, in these episodes, our plan for Doomspeak, going forward, is to alternate these episodes of Doom 2099 with episodes covering other of Doom's glorious exploits. So it will be a little while before we revisit this world and check in to see just how well those promises are delivered upon. So next time, which will probably be an episode in November 2021, based on the relatively geeky podcasting schedule, we'll be looking at The Thing number 12 from June 1984. And then after that, we'll be back in 2099 to cover the next couple of issues. If you have any feedback for this episode, any of these three issues, the world of 2099, or anything related to our good doctor, the rightful ruler of Latveria, don't hesitate to contact me. You can do that via email at geeky at gmail dot com, or as a comment on our Facebook or blog post for this episode. The blog is at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com dot blogspot dot com. Thanks for listening. Take care. And hail doom! Hail, hail doom! Hail doom!